And please turn in your copy of God's Holy Word to Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter. Boys and girls, that will be the fifth book in your Bible, the last of the books of Moses. In Deuteronomy 6, uh, our focus will be on verses 4 through 9. I will read the first 12 verses, however, of the chapter to get the context. And as we return to our series on the Christian family, we're beginning a section uh, in the, or a sub-series in this series uh, upon discipleship of our children and discipline. Uh, and we begin where discipleship begins, which is with the Word of God. And this is where our children begin with discipleship. And we are to know what the Lord expects of our home when it comes to the Word of God. And so with that, trusting you are now in Deuteronomy 6, hear now once again the Word of God, the first 12 verses of Deuteronomy 6. Let us give these words our full attention. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that ye might do them in the land whither ye go to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son, and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee, in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house, and on thy gates. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not and houses full of all good things, which thou fillest not, and wells digged, which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees, which thou plantest not, when thou shalt have eaten and be full. Then beware, lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Amen. God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray for the preaching. O Lord our God, we come now to the word of God as it is preached. And this is a time where we specially plead for the work of the Holy Spirit to work through your servant that now comes to proclaim the oracles of God to the people of God. We have a deep sense of our dependence on the Lord, both minister and member both. And so we pray, Father, fill this time with the Holy Ghost's power that the preaching would be done truly in a demonstration of the spirit and of power that the people of God would have their faith in the Lord and they would pass that faith on uh, to their children and that our children's children would uh, adore thee and love thee. And so we know that you are pleased to work in the day of small things. Here we are a small people, Father, and yet we look forward to the day of our children's children where they might be mighty arrows into the hearts of God's enemies uh, converting, uh, being used by the Lord to convert even many souls and to be used to the health 
of the kingdom of God. And so, Father, with these things in view and our earnest plea is that you would let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. We ask for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, Paul tells parents that they are to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Ephesians 6 and verse 4. The Proverbs say to train up our children in the way they ought to go, and they will not depart from the way. Proverbs 22 verse 6. But we have to always ask the question, where does the training come from? Where is it that we learn the nurture and admonition of the Lord? What is the way in which we ought to train them to go? Well, it's the word of God. And that might seem very obvious to you uh, if you're sitting here now and you might think, why do we need a whole sermon on this? This is very plain. Well, I don't think it is so plain because it is rare to find in our time anyhow a Christian home saturated with the word of God and, and having that word passed on to the children of believers as that word ought to be. The word here in chapter 6 teaches us that the life of our children must be infused with the word of God, a totality of their life filled from the earliest day with the word of God to point them to Jesus Christ and his commandments. And I will just say on a personal note, one of the things that filled me with a lot of grief as I was converted and came into the Christian church, especially interacting with people in the workplace or outside of my particular local body of Christ, was that um, many of the Christians that I met who grew up in church, or so they said, knew next to nothing about the Word of God. Knew very little about the Word of God. And their sight of the Lord then was so faint, and their walk with the Lord was almost non-existent, And the more that I spoke to them, I found what was in common, that their parents had spent almost no time, basically no time, instructing them in the word of God, teaching it to them diligently, day and night. And so their children became spiritual dullards. Most were quite worldly. Most were rampant in sin. Most had no assurance of salvation. They embraced unbelief, and they thought little of Christ, not knowing even the true gospel. And they had nothing spiritual to pass on to their children but platitudes. And their own children did not know God and never went to church themselves. And so when the word of God, beloved, is not diligently taught to our children, apostasy will be the fruit very quickly. And we find the plague that we heard of in Hosea, right? And this is God's covenant people. My people perish for lack of knowledge. And do you think your children are going to uh, grow spiritually, are going to be close to the Lord, to know the Lord, to cleave unto Him, if you don't teach them the Word of God diligently? They will not. They will not. And so that our children would walk close to the Lord, let's consider for our theme today, sharpening our children with the Word. And you might be curious about that word, sharpening. I, I trust we will get to it. It comes straight out of the Scripture. Sharpening our children with the Word. And we'll divide our time into three heads. First is for you parents to love the Christ of the word more than anything, even your children. Second, sharpen your children with the word. And third, walk as a family by the word. So first, love the Christ of the word. And he must have the preeminence. Your greatest love ought not be your spouse. Your greatest love ought not be your children. Your greatest love ought to be Jesus Christ. 
And that's where you have to begin. So many are, are more interested in loving their children and maybe their wife or their husband more than Christ. But if you truly want your family to prosper, you must love Christ more than any. And then you will truly know how to love your, your wife, your husband, and your children. We've talked about that as we talked about marriage. Well, Deuteronomy 6, I know we're jumping straight into the into this text and uh, we haven't come through the prior five chapters and we ought to really have come through the prior four books of Moses. But Deuteronomy 6, as you well know, is a foundational text in the Bible. Absolutely key for the people of God. It has long been memorized and recited by our Jewish forefathers for it contains what is known as the Shema, the great confession of faith. Shema is the Hebrew word for hear, boys and girls, and that's what begins our verse 4. It contains the confession, hear, Shema, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Literally, it says, Jehovah our God is one Jehovah. This is what the text says, and this is what you are to drive into your, into your heart and your mind. This is the great confession of faith. And it teaches, and we are often, I think... Um, not interested in investigating the depth of this verse, but it teaches in a very dense but memorable way what man is to believe concerning God. And there are three things particularly that it teaches you that you may adore and serve God well. First, that he is Jehovah. He is our God, eternal, self-existent, and self-sufficient. He is uncreated. He is the creator, and we are his people, his creatures. It tells you who is God, and it's not us, that we owe our being to him. In him we live and move and have our being, as the scripture says. And he in return, and mark this well, he needs nothing from us. He needs nothing from us for his happiness. He is God, eternally blessed forever. He doesn't need us. He is eternally happy. And so even our service to God is framed in that way. Second, that he is one, meaning he is the one and only living and true God. There is no other God but he. As you saw in Psalm 115, all other so-called gods of this world are mere idols. They don't exist. And so we are called then in this confession of faith to forsake all the gods invented by men and serve Jehovah only. He is our Lord. He is our master and he is the only uh, God. Third, Jehovah is the covenant name of God. He is the God of his chosen people. And that even, as we think of our family, frames the family, doesn't it? That our family is in covenant with God, right? He is the God of his chosen people. And that's why the Shema doesn't just say he is Jehovah. He is our God. He is covenantly bound to us. He is ours and we are his, as in the Song of Solomon, right? My beloved is mine and I am his. He is covenantly bound to us and we remember that this last week in the Lord's Supper. Why God comes down in the incarnation to meet us and to save us. For Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant or new testament in my blood. So the Lord our God is one Lord. And uh, we could spend a whole sermon just unpacking the Shema but it is packed with such meaning in a compact phrase. And it is for that reason that God gives us such a a, a short and sweet and dense and memorable meditation and why God's people were exhorted to memorize, recite it, and keep it close to the heart. 
But what is often overlooked is that right next to it, in verse 5, what is found there. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And what is key here is you must not only believe the right things concerning Jehovah in your mind, you are to love him with your entire being, with your, with your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. You are to have warm affections for the one true God, and it is out of those affections then that flows our obedience. Jesus said, this is the sum of our duty to God, didn't he? To love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. The proverb says what? Which is really illustrative of our relationship to God. My son, give me thine heart. Right? God wants the heart. He wants obedience out of the heart. We are to love him as Jehovah. We are to love him as our covenantal God. Everything that we know about God, we are to love. And then we are to obey him. Right? What the Shema is teaching is, is to confess him is to love him. And to love him is to obey him. As Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. John exhorted us in 1 John 3.18, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. If we love him, then our deeds, our obedience would flow out of that. And so it is verses 4 and 5 together that we find pressed upon us in verse 6. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. So this, this short and memorable summation of what we are to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man is meant to be pressed into the heart. You know, when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment in the law was, did he not take us, take that lawyer to Deuteronomy 6 verse 5, right? Because it would have been memorized with the Shema, the phylacteries which the Jews had, which they put out on their body, Right? The problem is they didn't ever, uh, not all of them, but certainly many of the Pharisees never put that where it ought to belong into the heart. These words are meant to be in the heart. And the brilliance, the more you meditate on these two short verses, the brilliance of Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, you find reflected in our shorter catechism. Boys and girls, uh, do you know what the catechism asks you in question 3? What do the scriptures principally teach? Right? What is it that the answer the divines give us out of the scripture? They principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. This is the scope of the scriptures. This is what the scriptures principally teach. And for you parents, as you go into the Bible, not just parents, all of you, if you go into the Bible, whenever, if you want to know how to reflect on a text that you read, ask the question, what does this text teach me concerning God? And what does this text teach me concerning my duty to God? I had an Old Testament professor and we had to outline most of the Old Testament in seminary. And he said, don't do your outline without asking those two questions in every text that you come to. What does this teach me concerning God? And what does this teach me concerning my duty to God? That will be the, the root of a, a rich meditation on every text. And so you find that reflected here in Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, what we are to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. And that duty is summed up in love. And so 
The summary is, know the God of the Word and perform your duty to Him out of love for the God of the Word. And these components of our duty to God are found in the Word of God and can be deduced from it. 2 Timothy 3.16 proves it to us as well. But Deuteronomy 6, and this comes into our theme as a whole, was not only framed for individuals and the nation of Israel, it is also in view of our families, as you see in verse 7. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. So it isn't enough for religion to stop with you. It has to also be taught diligently unto thy children. This is the duty God requires of every believer. It doesn't stop with you. Yes, you are to know right and orthodox things. You are to walk according to the word. But if you loved God, you would pass on the love of God to your children. And he says, don't let it stop with your generation. The pattern of knowing the God of the word and obeying the God of the word out of love is to be taught to the children with diligence. Now I'm going to come to that in the next heading. But parents, simply put then, your first Your first duty to God is for you yourself to know God in Christ and to love God in Christ yourself. And if you don't, you will never truly teach your children Christ as you should. You are to grow daily in the knowledge and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, you will get it terribly wrong if you think that I'm just giving religious instruction to my children and I'm just fine. You are to be pressed daily into the word of God. And you are to grow in your love and adoration for God. And then it becomes very easy to pass on the faith. Because from the heart, you would want them to know the God that you know. What did the Samaritan woman do when she met Christ? Right? She goes to everybody she knows and says, here is the Messiah. And you would be so excited, beloved, if you knew your God in Christ to do the same for your children, right? Think of how excited you are sometimes, uh, fathers, right? You have a hobby and you want to show them, your son maybe, what it is that you do and you're so full of glee to do it. You love Christ, you're going to do that. You're going to show Christ to your children. And so your first calling is to love Christ yourself. Until you yourself have come to know the glorious and merciful God of the Bible and love him above else and want to serve him out of the heart, out of love, you will find it very hard to pass on the faith. You know, if church is just part of your routine and religion is just a Sunday kind of thing, but Christ is not your all in all and he does not have first place, if he is not your first love in every way, right? In, in every way you conduct yourself, in every decision you make, we're going to get to that later. And if you don't do that out of warmth and love and not just a cold sense of duty, it is unlikely your children will follow the Lord themselves. But when a warmth for Christ is found in the warp and woof of your life, parents, then you will find the desire to diligently teach of him to your children and it will come readily. And it is that same heart religion, that love of Christ, that your children will see, that warmth for Christ, that they will then inherit themselves by God's grace. And that's what we pray for, that religion would penetrate their heart. And so, parents, the plea and the exhortation has to begin here, that you be spiritually exercised. For you to know and love this word from God and to hide it where? Where are you called to hide the word yourself? In your heart. These words are meant to be hidden in your own heart. For out of the word of God, as we reflected last week, 
is where you know the God that you say you love, where you say where you find the Jesus that you say you love. So meditate on the word yourself and warm your heart by it. And in that, then, the simple but profound truth of the Shema would warm your life, especially with the fullness of the revelation of the gospel, wouldn't it? Right? For the Shema would cause you to reflect upon Christ, who is Jehovah in the flesh. You would know him as God, blessed over all, the only living and true God. But staggeringly, right, the one who loved us and gave himself for us, right? This is Jehovah in the flesh. The one that we say, the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me, right? When your life is Galatians 2.20, right, and you, you, your children see that. Children, I serve Jehovah who loved me and gave himself for me. And I want you to know this God is your God. That is when we really see the discipleship that the Lord asks for reflected in our homes. When you know Jehovah who had covenanted from eternity past to save a sinner like me. And that his loving kindness has come in time to draw me to himself. And then out of a response to his love, I follow his word. Remembering this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. When, when the children see that this is the tenor of your life, you will not only de- desire to disciple them, but they will desire to be discipled. And so you are to set Jehovah as the centerpiece of both your life and your home and with no other competitors, right? The Shema, if it teaches nothing else, is no other competitors to Jehovah in the home. None at all. He has first place. There will be no other gods before me in this home. That is what uh, he expects of the believer. And so in verses 8 and 9, parents, you find the word is to surround your life and your home. And thou shalt bind them, speaking of the word, for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. Now, some of the Jews, as you well know, took this quite literally and had what are called phylacteries. There were boxes tied to the arm and head, which contained verses from the Bible. Uh, There is a sense here of a moral obligation, of course, to keep the word of God close to us. Uh, At that time, there was no printing press, and there were no scrolls that the average Uh, Israelite could keep in their home of the entirety of the Bible. And so they would memorize and keep close to them certain key texts. Deuteronomy 6 was one of those. Deuteronomy 11 was another one of those as well. And they would put these texts on their doorposts and their gates so that they would be surrounded with whatever word they could have, the key text. Now, there is a moral equivalence for you today, which is that you are to memorize, of course, for yourself, key texts out of the Bible. Right? You are to keep scripture uh, close to your heart. You are all of us are to keep the scriptures in the heart because that's where the Lord wanted him, not in the phylacteries and just to stay there, but instead to come into the heart. You know, in Christ's time, of course, he showed us the abuse of the phylacteries, right? Uh, They were enlarged by the Pharisees so that they could show how religious they were externally. There's a bit of a warning to us in that, I think, right? I don't think, uh, you know, several of us, I'll just pick up my Bible here. Some of us like to buy Bibles with very nice bindings. And we like to show them off. And yet we haven't put the Bible in our heart, which is where it really belongs. 
Right? We can always have a show of external religion. We can show, tell everybody, look how wonderful this Bible is. It calf skin, goat skin, whatever it is. And yet we don't dive into the Bible. And in so many ways, friends, we can keep our, the word of God externalized. And yet it has to be in the heart. And parents, let me just say this. You know, in the Reformed churches, we do home visits, right? Um, we don't know what your religion is like truly in the home, though. If it is just for show, if it is just like those phylacteries, but God knows. And what God wants in the home is the word of God in the heart from you as well as your children. And so you can make a show of religion, you can make a show of piety here, and you can fool all your elders. But is the word of God in your heart? God knows. And that's who you must impress, so to speak. The moral truth of the text is plain. The Bible must be stored up in the heart of parents and you must seek it out of love. And today in God's providence, think of how much greater uh, the word of God uh, can, can fill our lives, right? We have the entire Bible, not just the first five books of Moses. We have the entirety of the revelation of God in a format like this that we can carry everywhere. Many of you have it in in your pocket even, in, in the phone. And what would our forefathers and mothers have said at the thought of that? Godly forefathers and mothers, they would have wept for joy while we yawn out of boredom from all the copies of the scriptures that are gathering dust. So you need to treasure, and I do too, treasure the word. You need to memorize the key texts. You need to find the moral obligations, and you need to keep these things close to your heart. For by the word received by faith, the Lord thy God will be at the center of your life and your own home where he must be. You know, I'm just going to maybe interrogate, and maybe I'll spend uh, in your estimation too much time on this and you want get to the actual practical things. But I think these are the first things that we must know. And if we need to push practical things to another sermon, I'm happy to do that. What is the center of your life, parents? Um, you know, your children know. Your children probably know. Um, they pick it up at an early age. And I will praise God if your children will say, the word of God, Christ, uh, God is the center of my parents' life. But uh, maybe you ought to ask them and see what they have to say to you. And uh, I would also say, I wonder what God might think if he were to interrogate you. What would you tell the Lord? What is the center of your life? You need to have the answer to God, and it better be the Lord. I strive at the very least to keep the Lord and his word at the center of my life. You can ask yourself these questions. Who or what uh, do I fill my mind with? What do I love more than anything else? Who is it I desire, right? Who is it I have in heaven but thee? And who on earth do I desire more than thee, right? If you ask these kinds of questions, they would be quite illuminating to you. And you need to set these things in order for the foundation of your home. And I will say one great temptation, American Christian, is this, in this land of great prosperity, as we read in verses 11 and 12, that when the Lord gives us material prosperity, verse 11, we are prone to forget the Lord, who saved us from our bondage to sin and misery. And from experience, parents, and I think you know it yourself, this has been a snare for many Christian Families. I will say that of many of my friends who grew up in Christian families. I cannot tell you the number of friends who had this in common. Their parents were well off. They claimed to be Christians, but they did not pass on the faith because they were just too busy 
with worldliness. You need to be aware of that snare. Let nothing, nothing displace God, especially not mammon and the good things of this world that God gives you. God has given you these things. How can you forget God? And that's the grief here of the text, isn't it? The Lord gives you these things. The Lord gives you prosperity and you forget the Lord. But the Lord here in Deuteronomy will also never have us forget grace as we consider our duty to the Lord because this entire discourse is framed by grace. The Lord is bringing you into the land of promise. The Lord has saved you from bondage and so on. In other words, what he commands you is in view of the mercy he has shown you. Everything that he has done, you think in terms of the cross, right? Because of the cross, the word ought to be the center of my home. He has been so merciful to me. How can I not do this one thing for him and keep his word at the center of the home? How can I not adore the Lord my God after he has given his life for me? How can I not commit my children to him and train them up in the way they ought to go that they may serve the Lord who has given his life for me? This whole discourse is framed in terms of grace. I have done for you what you do not deserve. I'm giving you a land overflowing with milk and honey. And what I ask in return is to love me and serve me. When we remember our communion service just last week, the warmth of the supper ought to carry us forward in love and adoration for Christ and have him be served only in the home. And so having seen the foundation of true religion in the home in the word of God and with adoration for God, knowing God and knowing what he expects of us, we must pass this word on to our children with great care and diligence. And that's our second heading. Sharpen your children with the word. So in verse seven, we read how we must pass the word on to our children. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and thou shalt walk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up. Um, once again, let me stress this because this is what the text is saying. True religion is religion built on the word of God, the Bible. And that's what has the centerpiece here in verse seven. You are to teach the Bible diligently unto the children. And from the earliest days of the people of God, it is the word of God that has preeminence in religion. It has first place. Never forget it. Uh, you know, one of the things, you know, there are many things we disagree with, maybe uh, those who might be called fundamentalists. We disagree with a lot of things. But one thing that I have always admired of them is however far they fall short of it, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible is always uh, meant to be the center of it. Now, sometimes it's distorted and whatever, but there is a commitment to the Bible and the Bible alone. And it must be, uh, have that place for your children. They must see it as the very words of God. They must see it as the word of their creator and Christ their redeemer. They must see it as the words inspired by the Holy Ghost and not of men. It's not a religious relic. It is the active and living word of God and they must see it that way. They must see its power by the Holy Spirit. They must see that it is to be adored and cherished, not as an idolatrous thing, but as it is the word of God. That every word is to be believed. We don't get to pick and choose what we see in the Bible. Every word is a word from God. And they must be trained early to see it. Some children don't have that what we might consider a very basic understanding of what the Bible truly is. Inspired by the Holy Ghost. Who moved men, holy men, 
to write the words of Scripture. And so when the society comes and says, well, that's not right, or maybe this was written in the old days before there was understanding of this or that or the other, they're completely taken unaware. You must teach them from their earliest age, this is the word of God. We have to treat it that way. And that everything they need, right, for faith and walk in godliness is found here. Everything they need for salvation is found here. Jesus Christ and his gospel. You need to constantly lift and esteem the Bible before them. Train them so it becomes their reflex to go to it for every need, for every doubt, and for all their questions of God and godliness. Not only for their obedience, but also that they would know the love of God and his mercy to us in his gospel. What a thing it is when your home has an esteem for the Bible, right? Your children know, and your children will pick it up when we go and refer to the Bible, when we quote the Bible, when we never disparage the Bible, and everything that it has to say, we accept and submit to it. The text says to teach this Bible diligently to your children. The word teach in the Hebrew is quite illustrative, however. Uh, You may have a marginal note in your translation that the Hebrew word literally means to sharpen, which is where the the heading comes from. Uh, That is to wet, W-H-E-T, like a blade. And that's the image that is being used here as you sharpen a blade or an arrow. If you've ever used a whetstone, and I have, uh, you get a sense of what the text is teaching us and how it is that we are to drive the word of God into our children. If you've used a, a stone like that, you know it takes many passes And you carefully examine the blade with every pass that you make as you sharpen the blade. You turn it over and you make careful strokes with much repetition. And this is how the word of God is meant to be driven into our children. If they are to be spiritually sharp and useful, the word of God must be repetitively drilled into them. They are to have the word of God repeatedly pressed upon them. They are to memorize the word of God. And this takes repetition. This takes repetition. They are to know the meaning of the word, and that takes repetition too, because we are all prone to forget it. They are to hear both gospel and law constantly, over and over and over again. And your work in this, parents, is summarized by that word, diligently. You know, how does a man who really takes pride in his blade, I'm not saying we're taking pride in our children in that way, it's an illustration. How does a man sharpen his blade? He does it carefully, and he does it observantly with every stroke. And you are to do the same with your children. Not even, beloved, saying, okay, go memorize Deuteronomy 6, chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 4 and 5, uh, and then I will walk away from them. But you are to inspect them, right? You ask them to memorize it, you, you teach them the meaning, and then you have to see, is the word of God taking root? Is it shaping them? Is it sharpening them? And where is it that my child is not being sharp? Where is their spiritual dullness? Where are they as uh, maybe a poorly honed knife with defects? Uh, So diligence and not apathy and, and not just bare duty should frame your sharpening of your children by the word of God. Are they unbalanced in some way, right? Pick up the knife. You ask, is this imbalanced? Uh, You know, here's just a couple of areas. Am I laying down only precepts to them? All law and no gospel. Or maybe I'm the opposite, as many are today. Am I all grace and grace and grace and never explain their duty to the Lord? 
Do they know the ethical precepts of the Lord? Do they know what is right in his eyes in every case? You know, you observe their life and you ask, okay, I need to bring this particular word to bear in their life because they don't know this or they're imbalanced. Do they know the law of God, the Ten Commandments of the Lord? Do they... I was going to go a little further, but you would be shocked if you asked the average Christian simply to recite the Ten Commandments and how few couldn't even tell you, not even just in order, but couldn't even give you the ten of them. Do your children know the Ten Commandments? Can they tell you what they are? Do they know the history of God's people and how this book shows us our fall and our redemption? Do they know the doctrine of man, right? Our total depravity, our total inability to save ourselves. Do they know the doctrines of theology proper? Not to earn a divinity degree, which most divinity degrees, they're not even in the doctrine of theology proper going to teach you the doctrine of theology proper. But certainly our children ought to know the Trinity. They ought to know God's attributes. They ought to know the nature of Christ. Do they know the plan of salvation? Why we need Christ as God-man-redeemer? Do they know why he had to live a perfectly righteous life? Why he had to die in our place? Why he had to be resurrected from the dead? And why it is that he is ruling and reigning over all things and that he will come one day to judge the living and the dead? Do they know the doctrine of heaven and do they know the doctrine of hell? Do they know the twin graces of repentance and faith? Do they know the meaning of the ordinances of the Lord? Do they know what the word of God is? I've already talked about that. It's nature, it's inspiration, it's perfection. Do they know what the Lord's Supper and baptism signify? You remember in Exodus 12, if you go back a few books, right? When your children ask, what mean ye by the service? They were to explain the Passover to their children and that it signified the deliverance of our people. And so we are to explain the meaning of the ordinances of the Lord's Supper and baptism to them. Do they know how to pray? If few know today the Ten Commandments, how few know the six petitions of the Lord's Prayer? In order, in importance. Jesus Christ taught us how to pray. Teach your children because few know how to pray. And by the way, let me just put it this way. If they have no sense of practical piety, are they truly being sharpened? No. Do they know about fasting? Do they know about vows? Do they know how to handle the word of God for themselves and how to interpret it? Do they know sound principles of interpretation? There are many Christian children who are dull and blunt blades, spiritually speaking. Few today are spiritually sharpened diligently by the word of God through their parents. But what you want is, at the end of their days with us, we want them as much as possible to be well-balanced and honed for the master's service, if I may press the knife analogy further. Now, you might say, well, pastor, that was quite the list. It was quite lengthy. You should slow down. That's a lot. Suppose it is, but a couple things. Children soak up this very quickly, and they will learn it faster than you think. And you might say, well, I don't know all these heads of doctrine, and this kind of understanding of the scripture is beyond me right now. Well, first of all, you are to know these things yourself, and so don't give yourself a pass. Go diligently into the word of God and the tools that you can use to learn these things of the Lord because that means you're not well-balanced yourself. And Moses in Deuteronomy 6 certainly did not think you needed a divinity degree. He said everyone ought to know the word of God. 
and every parent ought to as well. The scriptures are what we call perspicuous. They are plain in the matters necessary for man to know of salvation and a godly life. But you also have in a church like this much help, right? With a rich history of many godly men who have gone before that have helped to summarize the scriptures for you. Because the observant listener likely heard that all the heads of doctrine that I rattled off come out of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. They really do, right? And these, these works of godly men are a gift to us in God's providence to help us teach our children of their God and their duty to God. The, the product of many godly churchmen gathered together who sought the mind of God and the word of God and by wisdom given by God said, this is the foundation we have to relay to our children. And so I would say use the catechism as a guide. They will impart to your children a soundness of doctrine that will be well-balanced teaching them of the, the, the doctrine of God, teaching them of the redemption of Christ, teaching them how we apprehend his benefits, what duty God requires of us in the commandments, how to pray, what the sacraments mean. All these things are summarized so helpfully for us by way of catechism. And what you have to do, though, beloved, is show your children that these things are from the word of God, that their faith doesn't rest in catechism. Thankfully, the, the Westminster standards have scripture proofs. Show them that these things are so out of the word of God. The word has the primacy. Never cause the catechism and the standards to elevate themselves over the Bible, but use them as servants of the Bible. And if you are uncomfortable with catechesis, so many evangelicals are these days, and they hear that word and they think it's a Roman Catholic thing. It's actually not. Uh, the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church had abandoned catechesis for quite some time though the early church used it, and the reformers rediscovered it. But it is a tool used to preserve the truth of the word of God from generation to generation. Uh, the Greek word katecheo, which is the root of our word catechism, is found in texts like 1 Corinthians 14.19. Paul said, Yet in the church I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach katecheo others also. Teaching, teaching the doctrine of the word. Uh, Paul, that word as it is used by Paul is given, um, it, it has a sense of giving instruction concerning the content of faith. And that's what Protestant catechisms are. Luther popularized them as a question and answer form, but there had been catechisms in the church prior to that. Their sum is to summarize the content of faith as an instructional tool based on the Holy Scripture. And so utilize, parents, the heads of the catechism to hone your children and yourself as well, right? Many parents have learned much doctrine just by teaching the catechism to their children. And I would dare say, sad to say, that if you memorize the shorter catechism, you will know more theology, true theology, than most ministers in America today. And that's a very sad thing to say, and I take no pleasure in saying it, but it is true. You know, think of how glorious it is when a child knows the answer to the first question and answer. When your child says back to you, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And you point your child to the scriptures, like 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. And the other scripture proof was Psalm 73.25, which I alluded to. Whom have I in heaven but thee, and there is none upon earth that I desire but thee. Right? And you can point your children this is the foundation for your life. 
So be diligent in the task of instruction in the word, brethren. Uh, Do not let up, keep at it. Uh, And let me just put it this way. I'll press the analogy further. Just as a blade needs to be honed continually as it is in use, so too will your children and even your own soul need continual sharpening. You know, the world will dull our edge, so to speak, if I can press the analogy. Do not be satisfied. Well, I taught the catechism to little John or little Jane a while ago. I taught this truth or that truth to them a while ago, so they must be fine. No, you need to continually inspect their lives. You need to examine them with diligence and sharpen them, hone them where they need it. You know, sometimes, right, they will imbibe a truth of God's word and they will recite it at an early age. But then when that truth comes into conflict with the world is where you really need to see if it has taken root and if they need to be sharpened and now applied. The word needs to be applied specifically to this situation. Diligence is the word for you. You know, I'm also very thankful for our Sabbath school teachers here who teach the catechism, Elder Silva and Dr. Smuts. However, the church cannot do this work alone. You need to do it in your home daily, parents. Daily. That's the thrust here. It doesn't say on the Sabbath do these things. It is every day these things are to be done according to Deuteronomy chapter 6, which of course means the church cannot do it for you. You must do it yourself. Now, grab a vision, though, of what this accomplishes, not only in their lives, but also for the sake of the kingdom, if I can press the analogy of sharpening. You know, in Psalm 127, verses 4 and 5, we have heard this before of our children and their use in the kingdom. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Now, if our children are as arrows, right, you take the analogy here in Deuteronomy 6, they need sharpening, right? A blunt arrow will not penetrate those who oppose the gospel of the Lord and say that you are to walk contrary to the word of God. But those children that are sharpened by the word of God and know it well, right, they will be mighty weapons in the hand of the Redeemer, for generations to come. As David said, thou through thy commandments have made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. Right? It is the commandments of God, that's Psalm 1998, the commandments of God will make your children wiser than God's enemies. And this is why we have so much confusion in the church today. When the enemies of God say, do this and do that, and they're contrary, right? When, when the enemies of God say, what is evil is good and what is good is evil, Your children are often taken unaware because they don't know the word of God. But if they could respond as Adam and Eve ought to have responded to the serpent when the serpent said, hath God said, if they can say, yes, God has said, and he has said right here in his Bible, right? Then they are sharpened and of use to the kingdom of God and to the Lord. We must make sure that they are inoculated from the devil's lies by making sure that the word of God has penetrated them and penetrated the heart. And then they can say, the Lord rebuke thee out of the word. Well, and I'll try to get as far as I can with this in our last heading. Being trained by the word is also meant to be a lifestyle. And so we'll consider that lastly, uh, walk as a family by the word. Verse seven says that thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest 
in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Right? It, this is a picture of the entirety of the home filled with the word of God. And the Lord here does then does not mean that it, the word is meant for your coffee table and your walls only, right? Instead, the word is meant to be engaged moment by moment, day by day with the children. You are to talk of the word with them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down and when thou risest up from morning to evening, whether you are walking, whether you are sitting or whatever, whatsoever you do, the word of God is meant to be front and center. I will speak of family worship another day, but this, beloved, transcends family worship. Sometimes we look at this text here, you find family worship. You find more than family worship. You find a lifestyle filled with the word of God, a lifestyle of the word, such that the children can also see that the word of God is eminently relevant to all of their life. Right When they are disciplined, the word of God must be used to explain why. When they are praised and we say, well done, son or daughter, the word of God must be used to explain why. When we see providences like the storm a couple days ago, we use the word of God to demonstrate God's power in the storm. And the word is in our home that way too. When our family suffers loss, we turn to the word of God and we explain loss. And with Job, we say, blessed be the name of the Lord. When we are given great blessings, we turn to the word of God and explain how we are to glorify God for such unmerited gifts that we unprofitable servants receive from him. Is there a portion, beloved, of your family's life the word of God cannot touch? No. Every portion of your life is meant to be touched. When there is sin in the family, and there is often sin in the family, even in the parents, out of the word, we find our need for repentance so that we can say times of refreshment may come from the presence of the Lord. And we will teach them that when one sinner repents, heaven rejoices. When we do not do what our friends and neighbors do, we do not just say this is our opinion or this is just what our family does and does not do. We go to the word of God and tell them why. This is why we're modest in our clothing, because God says so, children. And when we need to show grace and mercy to others, we show them out of the word of God that this is the nature of God, this is the nature of Christ, even as we saw at our communion sermon. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is the heart of mercy that we have received, and so we are to show grace and mercy to others. In every way, you are not to segregate your family's day-to-day life from the word of God. And your children will understand and learn how practical the word of God is when they see it used by you in these ways. Uh, This is part and parcel and intangible, maybe, of their training and their being sharpened for Christ. I mentioned earlier in the family series, this problem we have with religion, especially in the modern Reformed Church, is that we refuse to see that religion is eminently practical. We exercise our religion when we do what the word of God says. When a husband loves his wife as Christ loves his bride, when he gives himself for her, he is practicing his religion. When a wife submits out of love 
uh, for Christ to her husband, she is practicing her religion and her faith. When we raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, we are practicing our religion. It's not just for a couple of hours on the Lord's Day in the worship service. Religion is practical. And our exercise of religion is found in the home. This is God's word. And he governs and explains how the, word, the, the home is to be run and managed according to the word. And our children must see that in the Christian home, eminently, that it is a place filled with the word of God. But it is also to be seen outside the home. When thou walkest by the way, the text says we are also to speak of the word. You know, parents, everything has a lesson for our children from the word. Um, even in the world, right? When the sinners do sinful things in the world, in the news, we bring the word of God and we explain how the word makes sense of the world. Everything out there can be explained by everything in here. And they need to see it so that they will always turn to it, right? This is the training that is often neglected as though religion is maybe uh, for the church, And maybe in some people who are maybe a little bit further along sanctification, it's also for our home. But the Bible says when you walk by the way, you are not to neglect the word of God. Such that when you're walking out there and you observe everything in the world, in creation, in providence, you are to bring the word of God to bear. And that they would never be tempted in any sphere of life to uh, operate apart from the word of God. Because there are so many, right, who no longer, maybe they'll come to church and maybe they'll uh, hear the Bible preached and so on. But then when they go to the workplace, when they go to, their, to be married or whatever else, they will neglect the word as though the word doesn't apply outside the walls of the church. You need to make sure that they see in every part of your life the word has uh, to be brought to bear. Is lying always wrong? When you see those who lie, you say yes, and you need to teach them that. Is Jesus Christ never to be compromised? Yes, teach them that even when the temptation comes. Is there any hope for sinners outside of Christ? When people tell you, oh, God accepts all good people, you need to say, no, there is none good, child. We all need to come to Jesus Christ for salvation. You need to show them the power of the word uh, and how it makes foolish the wisdom of the wise in this world as you compare what the world says according to the word of God. Now I'll speak of worship in another sermon, but in family and corporate worship, they also learn to handle the word of God as it ought to be handled. When they see the Bible interpreted soundly in the home and at church by the minister, they also understand something of that. So the word has to fill that as well. But uh, let me end on a cautionary note as time is going away. I'm going to take the blade analogy one step further. There are ways to dull a blade. Putting children in environments where the world is not central is like taking a finely honed blade and whacking it against a granite countertop repeatedly. And you know exactly what that does to the blade. It loses its edge. It dulls the blade. It undoes the work that was done to sharpen it. And when a child goes to an environment like a school where the word not only has no place, but actually is demeaned, but secularism and the doctrines of the world are front and center for hours a day when their peers are godless and speak of the things of the world in enticing ways, right? What is happening? The spiritual edge of your children becomes dull and it is removed. 
ground away by the world. You know, if I spend 30 minutes in the kitchen honing a knife uh, and its blade and then spent six hours chopping away on a glass cutting board, which you know you ought not to do, right? The blade would have no edge. And I think that's an apt analogy. You can spend a few minutes a day. You can spend uh, uh, the Lord's day in the word. But when you send them to places where the word is demeaned and has no preeminence, you're undoing most of that work. The word of God is meant to be their lifestyle and it is meant to be yours as well, parents. And also, this text is that you may first and foremost know and love Christ and then impart that to your children, right? Tell your children, as Deuteronomy 13.4 would exhort, you shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and ye shall serve him and cleave unto him. This is what we want for our children, that they would cleave unto the Lord and pray. This is just the first sermon on discipline, but pray that the Lord would enable them to do so even as you train them diligently. Because unless he is in the training, right? And you don't just do these things mechanically. You do them with a great sense of dependence on the Lord, pleading that he would sharpen them by the word. Unless he is in the training, it is of no purpose or value. So pray and train your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord that the love of Jesus Christ would penetrate their hearts. Right? Ultimately, we want the sword of the word, which is sharper than any two-edged sword, to penetrate their heart, to prick them, that they would love the Lord their God and cleave to him always. So may Jesus be pleased as well to use them against his enemies when they leave your home as they are sharpened by the word. Amen. Let us arise for prayer and leave this topic here for today. O Lord, our God, fill our homes with the word of God, with the spirit of the Lord, that uh, we may love the Lord, our God, and cleave unto him always. And we ask that for our children as well. We ask that for every child here. We pray that they would all say of their parents that Christ has the first place in their heart. But more than our children saying that, Father, we pray that it would be Jesus Christ who would look into our hearts now and say of a truth that though their faith is often very weak, like that man who ran to me with his child, uh, they have faith nevertheless, and they love me and adore me. And so we pray, Father, to, that you would increase our faith in the Lord, that we would love him all the more, that we would know him out of the word and serve him always, and that we would give our children this great gift, that they would ever know the Lord and they would ever be with the Lord, that they would never depart from the way of the Lord, and that they would ever be found uh, in eternal and everlasting habitations because they have given themselves to Christ, that Christ has turned their heart. This is what we want first and foremost for these children. And then may they walk according to the knowledge and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you would send these blessings to us, un uh, undeserving and unprofitable servants. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.